it's our belief that we will start to see the same thing for sustainability, sustainability accounting to measure these metrics. And at the heart of this will be software tools. On today's show, I'm joined by Tom Mills, the MD of Two Oceans Strategy, a consultancy who are trying to apply the infrastructure and rigour to help organisations and governments measure the impact of sustainability projects. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by the Harvey Nash Group, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some technology news. Joining me today, we have marketing executive... She's laughing at that. That's a good start. Hannah Stevens. You're not. You're not a marketing exec. I am. It just sounds very weird saying it. But yeah, no, but we want good. our podcast audience to think that we've got a genuine expert on the show. A genuine expert. You're absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, it's exciting. It's uh, it's all kicking off at the moment. Day before or the day of the digital leadership report. Yes. Yes. We're recording yes. the day before. It's going out the day of. Yes. So if you hear loud crashes and bangs in the background, it's because the uh, film crew is setting up yeah it's all happening here there's so much there's so much uh equipment just everywhere it's great but yeah it's going to be live broadcast we've got a an amazing panel Mm -hmm. such a breadth of knowledge and experts and different perspectives but i think the digital leadership report from you know from somebody that hasn't seen it previously it's actually really interesting you know everyone thinks oh another white paper another report but it's actually it's got some good stuff in there some good stats that you can just whack out so yeah if anyone's a bit unsure what we're doing is we're plugging the digital leadership <laughs> report that's going out at four o'clock gmt yep. today so if you're listening this morning you got time to have a look at the show notes and to register because we've got the uh, CIO of Williams F1 on there. We've got the CTO North America of T-Mobile. We've got the European CIO of PepsiCo. And then a doctor, someone who's running something called Your Future, Your Ambition, Dr. Ashada um, Harry. Uh, we've also got Barbara Katari from Vanguard Asset Management. It's a really wicked panel. Um, so it, it genuinely will be worth watching. And it will not be a Zoom call. No. It will look good. Fingers crossed. Are we just jinxing it now? <laughs> well, there's every chance I'll cock it up, but I'll try not to. Yeah. And also you get a free copy of the report when you attend or if you just register as well. So, And yeah. you can also access the recording afterwards. If you are sat in front of a screen <laughs> at four o'clock GMT today, there are a few better things you could be doing. Yeah. There you go. There we go. Did we plug that enough? Maybe. 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 Uh, On today's show, though, we have Tom Mills, who's the Managing Director of Two Ocean Strategy. He's talking all about the need there to be more rigour and infrastructure around environmental reporting. Uh, So we'll hand over to that interview. It's very much on theme with COP26, and then we'll have a chat about it in about 15 minutes. Joining me today, I'm chatting to, to Tom Mills. Tom, you're the Managing Director of Two Ocean Strategy. Yeah, that's me. Great to be here. Is it two, two Oceans? Two Ocean? Make sure I get this right. Yeah, Two Ocean Strategy or TOS is probably an easier way to put it. And you are dialing in for the podcast uh, from Delhi, right? Yeah, so out my window, I can see the green canopies of leafy Delhi, which I know is something people don't usually associate with the capital of India. But um, yeah, my, my wife and I... Uh, moved out here about a month ago and um, we're sort of settling in really how come you moved out there also we were so you know our business and my background's really around 
sustainability and, and natural resources. And a lot of those issues we were talking about in London, where we were before, we were talking about things like trying to decouple the economy from natural resource use or decouple the economy from carbon emissions. And we're talking about the just transition to a green way of living. Those issues that we were talking about were, were great in London, but also they were in play, playing out in the most intense form somewhere like India. And I really, really yeah. wanted to understand them better. And so my darling wife agreed. She's, she's a doctor, good stage in her career, and said, all right, let's go and uh, I'll let go out and we can really start to understand some of these challenges that we're facing. So look, I, th- I think it's uh, silly of us not to kind of delve into exactly what TOS does and is and how you've got there. So first of all, it is in as high a level as you can, just just give us a, a, a description of what you're trying to do. So we are a natural resources and energy consultancy. So we help mm-hmm. companies, uh, multilateral institutions, that's people like the United Nations, governments and investors, understand, measure and benchmark impact upon people on the planet. Uh, To give you a couple of examples, recently we've been working with people like the International Labour Organization, bringing together trade unions, chambers of commerce, government entities to align around strategies for big sectors. We've been working with some large FTSE companies on how sustainability will impact upon their businesses in 20 years' time. But the bit I'm really interested by in this conversation is around how we can use technology as a means to measure and manage some of these impacts that are incredibly, incredibly complicated. So how does someone find themselves in a position to be managing director of a consultancy looking at this area? What's your career routes been so far? Because as I understand it, you studied uh, or you read rather uh, politics and, and social science at university, right? So that's, that's good knowledge. Yeah, so that's right. But I think it's worth taking us right back. So I think I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial interest. I think we set up, I set up my mm-hmm. first company when I was, well, that is incredibly grandiose. I apologize. I set up what can only be described as three men in a back room selling cheese toasties. Um, hey, it's was, a company. <laughs> when I was 14. It's a company. Let's, let's, not, let's not dress it down. So we had this. So, we, you know, this is back in 2000. We had a payphone outside our common room and we would sell at quite an industrial scale cheese toasties around the school. We, we had a. What? One of the best pop-up businesses I ever ever am witness to is when you come out of Twickenham uh, after a rugby match and you will find whole families selling burgers out their yes. front garden to the punters as they walk past. It's amazing. That, that's amazing. There you go. Cap- captive market, product market yeah. fit, job done. What is not a company about that, Tom? Uh, anyway, so, so you've had an entrepreneurial streak. <laughs> that, so, that gave us, so that gave us enough money to sell, you know, buy my first mobile phone and, that, and it was it yeah. from there. But when... When I was, uh, so then when, when I was doing, uh, when I left school, I went straight into the British Army. My friends were taking their gap years, so they were going off to Thailand and places. I managed to get a, uh, a, a something called the Gap Year Commission, which is an incredible scheme. So I went to Sandhurst for the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst, for a short course. Because I was quite a fit um, young man, I then went and joined the commando forces. I went down to somewhere called the Commando Training Centre in Limston, surrounded by these unbelievably professional, impressive group of, of, of people, and did my commando training down there, where I got my Green Beret, went over to France and did their version of the commando courses. Uh, and after that, I then went on to, to Oxford where, uh, to do my master's, where I got fascinated by natural resources. You know, and this was, uh, this is where all of the theory came into. So I started studying um, 
this the relationship between mining companies and governments and, and that led me on to my first job which was in Zimbabwe where I put a lot of that theory that I've been learning into practice so it's me my dog my motorbike my pickup truck my team and I would be sort of sent out in the middle of nowhere to sort of do some problem solving so I went and spoke to the artisanal miners who were wanted to understand what our plans were would it impact upon their livelihoods the local communities how do, how mm. these projects can impact their water the local governments who are trying to provide employment and that was really foundational to what we've then done went on to to work in the the oil fields of the Kurdistan region of Iraq where I understand a bit more about the energy sector but along this journey of working within industry I I kept on trying to understand what the motivations were for government. They were sitting across us on the negotiating table. They were the ultimate owners often of these resources. So I then went and became an advisor within ministries of mines and ministries of energy around the world. And I worked extensively in places like Afghanistan, worked a lot in Africa, and I worked in, uh, in, in Myanmar, Burma as well. And while I was doing that, I did my MBA and added on a bit of a focused on economics of natural resources and started publishing academically around these issues that we're facing. Um, but while I was in Afghanistan, we were trying to understand which projects we should look to be tendering first and how, what projects would have the greatest impact upon the people of the country. And we were finding that really, really difficult to start to measure and start to compare one project against each other and therefore what is the most important thing to, to start with so we looked around we saw there were some incredible methods some incredible academic methodologies there were some brilliant data sets there were some great frameworks that we saw but they were very dispersed uh, and we didn't have enough money to employ very expensive consultants to do it um, so that was really the itch that I started to scratch in the genus for, for two oceans how can we use technology to try and play a role in looking at this incredibly complicated area. So when you're talking to organisations um, with your consultancy hat on at the moment, what are you talking to them about? Because, you know, we we talked before, um, we talked before uh, this recording date and we had a little bit of a, a chat and it was the day after the Earthshot Awards. Um, and that highlighted the complexity and diversity of, and scale, I suppose, of all of these different kind of projects that are going on right now to try and look at various different elements of protecting the natural environment. So that would almost be impossible as a consultancy to try and, oh, hey, we're just, we're just going to be an environmental consultancy. You obviously need to have more focus than that. So what are you, what are you talking to these organizations about? So we focus on uh, we focus purely on natural resources and energy companies. And the first step we're looking at is in the mining sector, because that's where we've got mm -hmm. a deep expertise. But you're right. Today, trying to measure where we are today and trying to measure and compare um, these metrics is very challenging. So we have an array of frameworks. You know, we can look at these incredible amount of works that has been done to develop things like Global Reporting Initiative or the Task Force of Carbon Disclosure or Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. And we're starting to see these methods, but we haven't brought these together. So when companies start to report, it's very difficult to compare like with like. It takes an unbelievable amount of time to do it. Um, and it takes quite a lot of expertise. Now, that's where we are today. I think if we look forward five years, maybe, maybe a bit longer, but I hope it's not going to be very long. 
if I was a betting man, I would say that we're going to start to see there's one standard that we start to report against. And there's a, an agreed set of methods. And there's an agreed data library that gets published every quarter around what are the conversion factors we need. And I think it's worth us taking a comparison to, the fi to finance. So in financial accounting, we have the generally accepted accounting principles, which are a set of protocols that govern how do you categorize, how do you measure, how do you report, what's the format that you're doing that in, what's the scale of company, has to report what. We have groups of people who spend a lot of time training and become charted, um, past professional qualifications. We see companies having um, departments for finance because this is so complicated. And over time, it's my it's our belief that we will start to see the same thing for sustainability, sustainability accounting to measure these metrics. And at the heart of this will be software tools. So you and I talked previously. So, you know, if we look at the moment, accountants use key software tools, whether that's zero, whether that's QuickBooks, whether that's Sage, mm -hmm. you know, there will be the same thing for measuring, um, to, for measuring sustainability impacts. If, if we run with that, analogy and think about accounting those protocols you know the, the the methodologies and so on it's easy to define when those organizations are accounting firms and obviously there are um organizations who are uh, sustainability focused and that is their chief goal and they are working towards that I, funnily enough off to lisbon in a couple of weeks for web summit and, and it's great to see so many startups really focused on environmental issues and sustainability and i can see that we could create that framework around those organizations but would that also apply and work as well to a bank a law firm that needs to have help from an organization to make sure that they are meeting certain goals or objectives around sustainability well I think as we start to see these things becoming mandatory, um, you know, earlier this week, we saw Greening the Financial System, a paper released by the UK government that said, you know, the, the direction of travel is for mandatory reporting against these metrics. Now, it's likely that those uh, that will become something that you have in-house, you won't use expensive consultancy to do that, but you will still need the tools, the toolkits. You need to know where the methods are, the data libraries are. And that's going to be at the heart of, of how you're producing this. You know, there will be agreed methods. There will be agreed outputs against which you report against. They may be different for different industries. So what is material for one industry may not be material for another. So the issues that you are looking at for a bank may be slightly different for the issues you're looking at for a mining company, for example, who may have more of a focus on managing waste around social, uh, around um, water usage, around biodiversity impact, whatever that may be, but they will still be a requirement to use those, uh, to input information, run them through a calculation engine and generate outputs that you can then compare against a benchmark. So where do you, where do you think we are heading? Because there's, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit there. And if we think about, you also mentioned the role of technology or the role that technology could play in the industry. Um, COP26, obviously coming up between the 31st of October, 12th of November. So just before probably this goes out, um, the eyes will be firmly on on the UK and, 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 and what messaging comes out of that conference. Where do you think we might be in five years' time, 10 years' time? 
I think, first of all, that technology will have a critical role to play with with the outcomes of COP26. So we'll see those commitments that are being made. We've been seeing them as in the build-up. They're companies, countries, groups of civil society committing to net zero, where uh, net zero carbon emission targets. But there's one thing making a commitment, and there's not another thing implementing that commitment. And software will be the, at the heart of assuring that you can run those scenarios so you understand where are the hotspots that you have that you need to be addressing on a year-by-year year basis. So you're not just pushing this off for the next leader that's coming in. You're able to do that very granular roadmap all the way uh, towards you achieving your net zero target in 2030, 2035, 2040, whatever it may be. And having that at a granular, rigorous level, technology will, will allow you to produce those, um, hopefully will allow you to actually develop that roadmap. But just just step, taking a step back to how we, we would look at the future around sustainability. So we look at the future in terms of uncertainty. You know, and I think there are six big uncertainties. I think I'll take three for us now. And I think one of the big uncertainties we see is around how will the economy evolve? So, you know, we have this very heavy focus on gross domestic product at the moment. That was a consequence of the Great Depression, America needing to understand how much money it would have to go to war. We're in a very, very different position now uh, with a load of different challenges. And we're starting to see these signals suggesting there are different systems that are going to compete with that. For example, when you go to the supermarket in five years' time alongside your salt calories, fat, will there be a label that says natural capital flow, human capital flow, social capital flow, and then economic flows alongside that? Or are we going to see the externalities, i.e. the cost of carbon or biodiversity loss or biosphere health or social impact factored into the price of goods in some way? And I think the, uh, the genuine progress indicator is something that's quite, is looking at this quite heavily. Or are we going to view the economy in terms of planetary boundaries and social flaws, which is, you know, the idea around Donarchy economics, okay, war has, or are we going to include the voice of future generations in every decision that we make? Is there going to be someone who's sitting there in your boardroom saying, I represent the next generation, and I say that yeah. actually this is going to affect me in a certain way. So there, how that plays out is going to be, is a key uncertainty to us. Just picking up on something, and I don't know how relevant this is. You might tell me that it's 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 not a particularly interesting question. I don't know. Um, consumer choice often matters when it comes to, you know, if you've if you've got the cost of carbon on something, I kind of liken it to you buy free range or you buy organic because you think it's a more ethical choice. Not everybody has the money in the pocket to buy organic or buy free range, and therefore they buy cheaper processed foods um and yet at a governmental level when you look at kind of the, the rhetoric sometimes there's this it's thrown back on individuals to make choices to make you know if everyone saved a little bit of water or whatever else that would that would make a big impact and i kind of go well no it's it's on governments to to move the goalposts here and actually take a lead take leadership what will drive this? Because there are some great startups that are kind of trying to give power to consumers, or is that a little bit naive? And I assume it's obviously got to be a coming together of the two, but how important do you see the roles 
of those and 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 is it a little bit hard on, on a consumer to make those choices and saying it's going to be on packaging when not everybody maybe has the financial ability to do that i think it's such a good question i think this is really at the heart uh, of what we're talking about you know, what is the division of responsibility between government providing regulation between society making choices and between business innovating and providing what society needs you know if we look at um if we look at the role of of business should should business be providing responsible products for society or is it providing the demand that society needs so and i think in answer to your question i think that society is always up upstream of politics so and by that i mean that the pressures that society brings will give politicians the uh, the space to regulate more, which will generate more innovation, which will give more society will then feel that they can push government further. And we have this system. Um, and so I, I think this all comes back to these, these tools you're talking about, these startups giving voice and giving um, choice and data and information to the consumer will allow them to understand what's going on, put more pressure and more acceptance of government regulation, which will then put more innovation onto business. And I think that cycle, if we can get that, that really whirring, is going to be uh, where, we, where we need to be heading. And look, last quick question, and this is, this is a bit more, I suppose, for the, for the growth and startup community. You've taken a very drastic decision to not just, you, you've not just moved cities, you've moved continents. Uh, if, if someone is, is, is building a business and they're taking that step onto the unknown and, and really kind of you know, saying, we're all in on this, what advice would you give them to give them the confidence that, that you know that you're on the right path? Oh, good. Difficult question. So, so um, well, one of the things we're very focused on is testing. So really testing, 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 trying to understand what's going on, but also trying to we've spent a lot of time trying to get a range of very different opinions. So, you know, one of the things that we have a, a company in the UK and, and, and a subsidiary in, in India, and we use that India perspective quite heavily because um, we're looking for this other point of view that will allow us to, to understand these issues better and actually challenge maybe some of, some of the biases that, 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 that those sitting in a different context will have. So I think it's, for me, and that has been very, uh, very helpful for, for, for us. Um, we've used the combination of consultancy as, as, a, as a test bed for our technology, uh, which has been very helpful. And we want to continue to do that and, and run them alongside. Um, but otherwise, yeah, that's, it's a difficult question. <laughs> There's a bit there, though, around testing that's super useful. <laughs> so, I think for me, if I was going to answer it, I think it's testing and challenging perspective um is is for me how i would how i would put it well look thank you so much for your time this morning uh or this afternoon rather this morning for me this afternoon for you um and i hope that it continues to go well and 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 the move pans out well hey i really enjoyed that so thank you very very much okay rather than me just refer to my notes and decide what we're gonna a lot of notes i made some notes yes i I do make notes i made some notes as well yeah cheese toasty was one of your notes do you want to explain cheese toasty well I just thought it was interesting that he was like, it wasn't a business, but it was a business. And then he was like, bought my first mobile phone. And I think it's, you know, important to celebrate even the small things, even the cheese toasties. So it's always good. So yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's very true. Just getting everyone to crave cheese toasties now. 
yeah. <laughs> but no, the thing from like the rugby and then people walking back, it's it's all a business and it's all, you know, helps lots of things. I don't know how we go from cheese toasties to two um, ocean strategy, but... You can measure the environmental impact yes, of, a cheese of creating a cheese toastie. You can. You can have a look at the social, human, economic and carbon cost. You could, yeah. yeah. Or I the thought, capital. Yeah, yeah, the thing where it's going to be factored into the price. I was a bit sceptical about that. Why? You pay extra for organic meat. Yes, but something where it's going to be on the label. Why though? We have lots would... of other things on a label right now. We we have yeah. we we're totally fine with being told if fish is sustainable. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's interesting. I think with food labelling, something that I studied with the regulation for it, it's so complex as it is, and the amount of you know things that they have to check is quite interesting when you go through all of the stuff that has to be regulated for food labelling. It would be interesting to see how they're then going to integrate the carbon footprint into labelling moving forward. Yeah, granted. But Tom says that this is this is looking five years down the line. Yeah. And I think I think the real positive about this is that it is creating the infrastructure. Um, at Web Summit last week, loads of really, really great companies doing some amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. But right now if you really want to make impact, if you really want to get investment, you've got to be able to demonstrate the impact or the value that what you are doing will have. And if you can't do that, it's very difficult to attract investment. So if Two Ocean Strategy can put in place the, you know, the, the, the ability to have a standard and measure one project against another, yeah. it might sound like it's quite, I don't know, dry mm. and areas to be working in but it, it's it's the necessary foundations to allow a lot of these projects to genuinely attract the the, the the investment that they need it's like what we said earlier about what does good look like in this space if you don't know that and it's not defined as it is at the moment yeah then somebody there is an investor can go i don't know if this is good what is the best practice for this there might be lots of things in the market and mm. each person's or each company is doing their own thing for it. But unless you've got, you know, like a regulatory body that's saying, this is what good looks like, this is what we should all be aiming for, you know, you can go above and beyond. But if that's not known, then everybody's kind of in a, you know, in a black hole kind of thing of going, oh, I don't know what's good in this sense. And it's interesting because the Earthshot Awards got mentioned. I watched the Earthshot Awards ceremony and it was really inspiring. But there was the element of you were kind of, you had no idea why the award winners had won over another, which you that might say is weird. not is not that relevant. Mm. But I kind of think if, if you're going to have credibility, if you're going to build momentum, then people need to know why certain yeah. projects are being given that funding, why certain projects are the ones that people... They were all fantastic. I, mm. I wanted to know why mm. or how they've made those decisions. They're going to be the decision things as well when people go for investing or, you know, why am I buying this product or mm. why is this, you know, differentiating in the market? And that can be a really helpful part. Um, yeah, I think his backstory as well was actually really interesting. Yes. About where he came from and, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned about it's great to be a consultancy, but unless you've been there and you know, you've been 
feet on the ground, you know what it's like, then you're giving practical experience examples instead of just going, I read this and I think it's good. Well, I think I think that kind of military diplomacy background of being on the ground in places like Afghanistan and Burma is actually hugely significant in terms of what he's doing now because the motivations, you know, he talks about why will a government be motivated to, to, to kind of back something and to act. And if you've been in the military, you, you understand that probably in a way that someone who's very noble and has wonderful intentions but mm. doesn't have that understanding of the way that unfortunately mm. government works, especially in other regions of the world, it's going to be very difficult to, to get that momentum. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's quite interesting just on another element that he said about moving out to Delhi. I yeah. was just like, wow, okay, that's like completely out of nowhere. Um, yeah, and wanting to know more about it. So he took the, you know, the step to go out there. I think there's a lot of other people that are seeing the opportunity of doing that and being really integrated into the place of where, you know, where they belong. I know that with us, with Nash Tech and stuff, really going to Vietnam and seeing what it's like there has huge impact of then coming back to the UK and imparting that knowledge or knowing what it's like in the sense of but yeah in Delhi I thought that was kind of cool as, so, as someone who's travelled to Delhi <laughs> is it is it a place humble humble brag <laughs> she's <laughs> been so dying humble. to drop that <laughs> I haven't been dying to drop it I just think I just thought it was really beautiful and really cool and I probably wasn't there long enough to have a yeah a proper look around but yeah it's cool. It was well, like leafy and yeah. Which know. which is surprising because it's not changing perceptions. There we go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he talks about the voice on future. Sorry, the voice of future generations in the boardroom. Mm. I think that's one of the things we've seen with COP twenty six. You know, Greta Thunberg saying loudly that this is just another business conference, mm. um, and that absolutely. You know, the, the, the reports in the papers today um, about the 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 people who need to be in the room are not in the room yeah. and it will not have the legacy that the conference needs to have because of that. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really important point, right? I hadn't even thought of it until he said it. Will there be representation of this generation? Because unless that, you know, it's the same for a lot of things, unless you get somebody in there that can empathise with it and can really push a point because it's going to impact them and is really important, you know, it couldn't just go to the side and, and be forgotten about um mm. so and i think that needs to be i don't know if that's somebody that's re representative within the business or if that's somebody that it's always an agenda aspect to every single meeting because it does need to be included in everything that we're talking about so i don't know how that's going to work but i think it's really important and it you know, we'll get a lot of businesses thinking, have we thought about this? Is there somebody that's representative? In I mean, how, how difficult is it, to be perfectly honest, for a company, if they're looking, if they're talking about their ESG mm. properly, mm. to go into a school local to their businesses and go, let's invite someone into our office. Let's listen to them. It's not hard to do that as a, ver as a, as a first step. If they're willing to, yeah, to be serious about. Yeah, but it's, yeah. Not, it's not a difficult step. It doesn't cost you anything. Just no, I think listen. it's just important, you know, to have that perspective and also the impact that it might have yeah. if it hasn't been discussed previously as well. Now, the Digital Leadership Report, which we haven't mentioned, does actually have 
perhaps some actions that organisations might need to think about. Because unsurprisingly, look, you know, joking aside, we're plugging it quite heavily because we would love you to join us for the report. And I'll promise not to try and cock it up. But um, <laughs> the, the report does focus in on sustainability because it's such an important issue for the, for the industry as a whole. Yeah, we've got loads of reporting that are from all digital leadership um, across range. And it really does help with all of the practical things that we've put into the report. So it is saying about improving sustainability within your business. If you are struggling for that and going, okay, it's all well and good, you know, doom and gloom with all the stats and everything. And also, you know, COP26, what can I practically do? Or what are the, what are other businesses doing in my same similar situation? This is how they can use it, yeah. you know, so it is helpful resource in that as well. Not to plug it even further, but yeah, it's got, I think, three pages that are all dedicated to sustainability, what's going on at the moment, how you can then help that within your business as well. Well, look, Hannah, thank you very much for taking the time to join us on today's show. Thank you very much. Friday is episode number 450. Wow. So we've got something slightly special planned, which we'll tell you about. Special. Special. Don't take the piss out of the way I talk now. (laughs) We'll see you all then.